know, a challenge of, of teaching through a, a letter like we've been doing this, this spring and, and, and into the summer is, you know, is a letter is meant to be read in one sitting, right? And so this is the way that, you know, you, your, your significant other or, you know, your, your friend writes you a note and none of us, you know, pick up a letter and read a line and then be like, you know what, I'm going to save the rest for a rainy day, right? Like you get a letter and, and you read through it, you know, think about this past week, I, I picked up a book that I read several years ago and, and in that book is a, a letter that my wife wrote me. And so I'm clearly setting the book aside and turning my attention to this letter. I just read through it several times and I'm just picking out words and, and clinging to it. I'm like, oh man, she thinks that about me. That's awesome. And, and, and that's the way that a letter is meant to be read in one sitting where you just fix on it and it speaks to you, encourages your heart. And the problem with trying to, to teach through a letter in the Bible is that, you know, Paul who wrote this letter is in the middle of a thought. And, and we wrap up on Sunday and we go about the rest of our week and we come back and we're like, now wait, what did Paul say last week? Like, where were we? And, and, and so, you know, just to kind of fill us in, this is a letter that was written by Paul to a church in the city of, of Philippi. And we've just been walking through this letter this spring, verse by verse. And, and so two weeks ago, um, Mo, if you were with us, a brother from another church and Murphy's brother and Murphy's brother and Murphy's brother. It's a new city in Tennessee. Excited for you to go there someday. Um, he started a conversation two weeks ago that, that Dave picked up last week on the process of transformation. So if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, man, we've been talking about what happens in the life of someone that, that starts out who doesn't know Jesus, but they wake up to Jesus. You know, you, you come to this point where you're born again, where you literally come alive to God. And over the lifetime, it's this process of, of growing up, of literally maturing. And what, and what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to kind of look at some of the developmental mile markers that we hit as we mature in Christ. Our youngest right now, four kids, and our youngest um, is just a little over one. And, and last, month, or last week we were at the beach, or two weeks ago we were at the beach, and, and our youngest started to walk. And, you know, if you've ever seen a, a toddler starting to walk, it's one of the most amazing things. They're just kind of like wobbling. They look a little drunk. And, but it's super cute to watch them learn how to walk. And it was cool because my kids, my older kids, were, were watching Jaquarius learn to walk. And they're just cheering for him. And they're like, yes, that's an awesome way to go, Jack. And they're clapping. And he's clapping and falling and stumbling. And, and there's something about crossing mile markers that are significant. They bring joy to you. So often they bring joy to to the people around you. And some of you this morning, as, as we're going to talk about kind of some of these mile markers in the life of a follower of Jesus, as we go from not knowing Jesus to fully mature followers of Jesus, some of you are going to go, you know what? I've, been, I've done that. I, I, I learned how to, to walk 15 years ago. I hit some of those milestones a long time ago. And others of these mile markers that we're going to hit, you know, some of us might go, you know what? That's, that's, I can see that coming in the season ahead. Or maybe if you're like me, a lot of these mile markers are things that you cross and then you kind of have moments of where you regress, right? And then you cross it again. And so I'm excited for us to, to look at, at some of these mile markers this morning. And so I want to just work through this text verse by verse this morning. And so this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And then 
You know what Paul is doing is he is, he is calling us to maturity. Calling us from, from not being you know, spiritual babies or spiritual children or spiritual adolescents. He's looking at us and going, hey, I'm calling you higher. I want you to grow up. And he says, for, for those who are mature, this is the view that I want you to have. Take such a view of things. And we're like, what view of things are you talking about, Paul? And, and this is what Dave really unpacked last week, that, that a sign of someone who is maturing in Christ is someone who does this, who forgets what is behind and strains towards what is ahead. Paul says, I, I want you to mature in Christ. And, and a sign that, that you're growing is that, that you no longer value the same things that you did before you fall, started following Jesus. Think about the things that before Christ took a precedence in your life, the things that, man, you found value in. Man, it's your accomplishments or your job or your degree or the college that you went to or how much money is in your bank account or what people think of us. And Paul says, I want you to forget those things. Because of a mature father of Jesus, the thing that you value more than anything and above everything else is Christ. To know Christ. To walk with Christ. You know, one of... Guys that I've been learning from for many, many years. His name's Tim Keller. He's a pastor up in New York City, planted a church many years ago, and um, he, he passed away this past week. And, and I've loved learning from him, listening to his podcast, figuring out how to teach the gospel. And, and his son got on, and, he, and, and this is what he said that were some of his last words from his father. His, his dad, he's been faithfully preaching the gospel, leading God's people for a long time. He says, I'm ready to see Jesus. And this is a picture of a mature believer that, that the things of this world don't have a grip on your heart anymore. That you care way more about being faithful to Jesus and actually knowing Jesus and living a life that brings Jesus glory than you do how much money you make or how much uh, uh, people remember your name or the books that you're writing that... He said, you have a new value system. And I love what Paul does is because he says, if on any of these points you think differently, God's going to make that clear to you. And, and this is really powerful because Paul doesn't want to waste any time arguing. He goes, hey, if you're not there yet, if you're still in this place where you're, you're really just clinging to things in this world to try to, foul, to bring value to your life and to define you, he says, God's going to make that clear to you. It's a part of, of maturing in Jesus. And so he goes into verse 16 where he starts to, to lay out some of these specific mile markers. And this is what he says in, in 16. He says, only let us live up to what we've already attained. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. And I actually like the way that the ESV translates this better than the NIV. It says, you know, to hold true to what we've already attained. You know, the first mile marker that I want us to, to think about this morning as we, as we mature, as we are transformed into the fullness of Jesus is this idea of holding. And a mile marker that we must all pass is, is this idea of holding, holding on to what we've attained. And for followers of Jesus, the thing that we have attained is, is righteousness by faith in Jesus. 
And if you're not, um, if, if, you're, if you've not been a part of our church family or if this is your first time at church, you're like, man, what does, what does that mean? And we get comfortable throwing around big words like that in church. And it's normal, man, but this idea of righteousness, it's a big idea. It means to be forgiven by Almighty God. It means to be welcomed into God's family. It means to be adopted as his children's. It means that, that the God of the heavens, that you have his attention, that you have all of his affection, that you have unlimited access to this God. And, and Paul looks at his brothers and sisters that he loves so much. And he says, the, the mile marker that you must pass if you really want to mature is that you learn to hold on to the righteousness that you already attained. In other words, don't let it go. This is a message that, that Paul preaches. This is his message. You know, he says something very similar in Colossians chapter one, where he says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, to present you righteous in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Listen to this. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And Paul wants us to understand that we've been given this right standing with God. We've been given this full forgiveness. We have access to God forever. He says, hold on to it. You've been given this new relationship, this new standing with God. Hold on to it. Some of you are married. So you maybe one day hope to get married. You know, marriage is, 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 a, is a great gift. It's not the only gift in life. It's not the finish line of life, but it is an incredible gift from God. In marriage, this new reality comes about that, that you get this new status. You're now husband, you're now wife. This gift has been given to you, but I wanna ask you this, man. If, if you don't cultivate this thing that's been given to you, what happens? Man, you don't pour into your marriage. You don't hold on to your marriage. You don't prioritize it. What happens? You think about the opposite. Man, in, in marriage, when, when you really accept this gift that's been given to you, this new status, man, when you, when you pour into it and you, and you listen to your spouse and you value them and you sacrifice for them and, you, and, you, and you're thinking about ways to surprise them and bring joy to their heart, man, the relationship thrives. And Paul goes, you've been given this righteousness. Now hold on to it. You didn't earn anything. But if you don't hold on to it, you're gonna lose it. And that shouldn't scare us, man. But the more we see Christ, the more we, we cling to his righteousness, the more that we think about all the things that he's given to us, man, we find ourselves holding on to it. The first thing that, mile marker that we, we talk about this morning, and this is not any chronological order. This is, these are just some mile markers that we, we pass as we mature in Jesus. The first is holding. The second mile marker that we look at this morning is that every follower of Jesus undergoes learning. Look with me in verse 17. Paul says this, join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those, who's on those who live as we do. You know, we are meant to learn from others how to practically follow Jesus. 
I love what Paul says. He says, keep your eyes on, on those who follow Jesus. Literally, look at people's lives, study them, watch them. You know, we have the, the benefit of, of getting to learn from people in our community, your friends, people in your house church. But I also love that, that in the day and age that we live in, that we have the ability to learn from people who went before us. Love reading biographies, listening to podcasts. We were coming back from the beach and we were listening to this history podcast for kids. And honestly, I was into it more than my kids were. And, and they were talking about Corey Ten Boone. Any of you guys know the story of Corey Ten Boone? Yeah, this woman that lived in Holland in Nazi Germany, she found herself living in this flea-infested concentration camp. And she got put in this concentration camp because she had been assisting in protecting and, and, and giving safety to Jews and helping them literally flee the country. And the Gestapo discovers what she's doing and they throw her in this concentration camp. And she finds herself being in this, in this room with many other women with all of these biting fleas. And she's sitting in this room with the scriptures that she'd somehow managed to smuggle into this concentration camp. And, and many of the women around her are complaining about the, the, the fleas that are biting. Of course, they would be complaining like no one wants that. And she just had this different perspective. She said, hey, we don't need to complain. We need to be thankful that we have these fleas because, because it's keeping the guards from coming into our room. And because they're not coming in, we're able to study the scriptures. And I'm driving back from the beach and I'm going, what? You know, there's something about learning from other people that keeps us from settling in this life. Man, that, that when you catch a spark from their flame, it just reignites something in you that you are reminded that our life is short and we are called to live this life fully for the glory of God. I love the story of Eric Lydell. Any of you guys know the story of Eric Lydell? Scottish man that ran in the 1924 Olympics, a runner. The world came to know about him in 1923 because of a race that he was in. It was not his best race, but it was a 400 meter. And right out of the gate, I learned at the nine o'clock, it's called the blocks, but I'm from Kentucky and we have horses and it's a gate, but in track, apparently it's called blocks. And so, you know, right out of the blocks, he gets tripped up by some other runners and he's instantly 20 yards behind by the time he gets back to his feet. And I don't know much about running, but in a 400 meter you know, race, being 20 yards back, you're, it's almost insurmountable. And the crowd were stunned to watch him do this almost unthinkable thing that he literally passed every single runner winning first place. In 1924, he qualified for the Olympics But his best race, the 100 meter, was going to be run on a Sunday. And Eric felt that Sunday was reserved for the Lord. It wasn't a day to work. It wasn't a day to, to compete. It, wasn't, it was a day devoted to him. And so literally out of his conviction, said, I'm not going to run in the 100 meter. And I was reading this story to my kids in bed and I was just so convicted, like, oh my goodness. Like, and there's something about seeing people who are taking their faith and living out their convictions that just makes me go, man, am I living out my convictions? You see, we are meant to learn from other people, from other followers of Jesus. 
It's why house church is so important. Man, it's why opening your life up and prioritizing being around other disciples of Jesus is so incredibly important because you catch the flame of their life. And a mile marker that followers of Jesus cross is that we learn from others. The third mile marker that that we pass as we follow Jesus, as we mature into the fullness of who he is, is that there's this thing of, that is, is leading. So there's holding and there's learning and there's leading. I love what Paul says in 17. He says, follow my example. Hear that. Okay, we, we can read that in the Bible. Follow my example. We're like, yeah, of course. I want you to think about this. I don't believe... That, that we're supposed to just read that and be in awe at Paul. I believe that that's a statement that you and I are supposed to actually imitate. To literally invite other people. Follow my example. And when I say that, my guess is that most of us don't, would never feel comfortable saying that. That's, in fact, really uncomfortable to, to think about saying to someone else, hey, follow me. And my guess is the, the reason that that is so uncomfortable is because we know our own weaknesses, we know our own sin, we know our own struggles. And I want to say this because Paul was not a perfect man. In fact, he wrote down places in scripture where he had missed it. No, I think Paul says this because he knows something. He knows that, that we learn best in the context of relationship. You get to ask questions. You get to pick up on habits. You get to, to learn about their heart. Several years ago, I felt really convicted by the Lord that this was a mile marker that, that I needed to, to cross. You know, had so many incredible people pouring into me for as long as I can remember. I felt the Lord going, hey, Brandon, you don't have it all figured out. You don't have all the answers, but... It, but you need to, to obey this, live into this. And so I remember praying and, and, and really feeling like that I was supposed to invite some guys into my life to literally come to my house. And, you know, we live out in Mount Juliet, so it was going to be a little bit of a drive. But I just told them, hey, I, I want to pour into you. I want to teach you some things that I've learned and I want you to, to learn from me and to avoid some of the heartaches. I want to, I want to teach you things that I'm learning right now in God and I want, to, I want to pour into you. Are you interested? And all six of the guys said yes. And if you've ever been a part of a relationship like this, you know that it's not just you pouring, that you receive just as much as you give. And those six guys taught me so much about God's heart. And, and I go, some of you this morning, you're in a place where, where you've been flying solo for a long time and you need to ask someone who's further down the journey than you, you need to ask them, hey, can I follow you as you follow Jesus? And others of you, man, you, 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 don't, you're not, you haven't arrived. It's, you're still wrestling with sin. There's still things in your life, but man, you are a mature follower of Jesus. And some of you need to put it before the Lord and go, hey, are there some young guns that I need to open my life up to? Part of us maturing into Jesus is that we learn to lead others. Let's keep going. Verse 18. Paul says, for as often as I've told you before, and now I'll tell you again, I don't want you to miss this, even with tears. That many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their destiny is destruction. Their goal, their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And this is a weighty couple verses. Paul speaks the, the reality of what happens to those who reject Jesus. Paul says, hey, those, those who reject Jesus in this life, their, their end is destruction. Whew. And I want you to notice this because Paul doesn't, this is not some callous, heartless declaration that, that Paul looks at people who, who don't know Jesus, who don't follow him, and he doesn't stand condescendingly on the sideline and, and go, you know what? Your end is destruction. Now, what does the scripture say? Says it. I'm writing this with tears. And Paul thinks about the eternal standing of people who reject Jesus. It moves him. What are the things that move you? When when do you find yourself getting emotional, crying? things you care about, things that hurt your heart. And Paul, sitting by himself, he's writing this letter to this church and he's thinking about people who don't know Jesus. And my prayer as I was reading through this portion of the text this week is, man, God, forgive me. God, forgive us when we are callous to people who are far from you. Forgive us when we stand on the sideline and when we are really comfortable telling, you know, calling out the truth that, but, or, or forgive us, God, when, when we're people who are not even willing to stand on the truth. What I love about Paul is he didn't just It wasn't just moved in his heart. It moved him to action. Man, when thinking about people who don't follow Jesus, he gave his entire life to helping people be reconciled to Christ. This is what Jesus did for us. That the God who created us, he looked at us in all of our rebellion and all of our separation from God and all of our deadness. And he didn't just from a high and lofty place go, yep. No, he came to this earth and he gave his life. And the reason, the reality that you and I are now righteous is only because of what Jesus has done for us. He gave his life to change our reality. And I go, God, may that be true of us. May you stir that afresh in our hearts. May we never be comfortable. May we never become callous. God, would you awaken us? Part of what it means to to mature is that we learn to, to grieve. Literally, Christ gives us his heart. You don't give your life You don't lay down your life 
Man, unless your, your heart is for, and we need God to give us his heart for the world. Maybe once his heart is formed in us. The last mile marker that we're gonna look at today, and this is not all the mile markers in the Christian faith, okay? So this is not a comprehensive list, but the, the last mile marker that I wanna talk about this morning It's part of maturing into the fullness of Jesus is, is waiting. It's holding and there's learning and there's leading and there's grieving and there's waiting. And look at verse 20 and 21. It says, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. We are citizens of heaven. And as the world proves over and over again to not be our home, it, it should stir our heart to long for Jesus. I don't know about you, but Whenever a wave of death or of sin or of disaster hits in my life, it's, it's like this wake-up call. You ever notice how that happens? How you know, someone that you love passes away and, 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 and there's just this pain in your heart and, and your heart was never meant to carry that pain. And every time we experience death, it's just this reminder that we are citizens of another place. Every time injustice happens and you have no power or ability to do anything about it, it's just this reminder. And our citizenship's in another place. Every time disaster hits, you think about when a wildfire hits the West Coast in California. Every time a tornado rips through the South, every time a hurricane hits the coast, we are powerless to do anything about it. It's just this reminder And Paul looks at us and, and, and he gives us a response. And so what happens when we find ourselves trying to be faithful to Jesus in the, this place that he's planted us in this world that it, we find ourselves in and the culture that we find ourselves in and, and what is our response? And I think Paul gets really practical. Our response is that we eagerly await a savior. We learn to eagerly await the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that he draws our attention to the word savior. And I go, that's really important and significant because we're, we're waiting for Jesus to literally come and save us. To save us from our own flesh. You know this, if you've been following Jesus, that man, you take two steps forward, but, but your flesh, that thing inside of you that, that, that is at odds with the spirit of God that's inside of you, just, it just keeps coming like a, a wave in the ocean trying to get you to, to step back into patterns and habits that once shackled you. And when Christ comes, he will completely deal with our flesh. When Christ comes, he's gonna save us from our flesh. He's gonna save us from the enemy. And, and, and we know that the enemy's after us. And especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, you've, you've come to, look, to recognize his voice. You've come to, to recognize his temptation. You've come to recognize the nuisance that he is. And I'm convinced that 
that one of the great gifts of heaven is we're not even gonna, we're not even gonna recognize how much of a nuisance the enemy was until he's not there anymore. And our King Jesus will come and he will save us from our flesh. He will save us from the enemy. So we await him. We, 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 we eagerly anticipate our Savior. I love that Paul ends like this. He's gonna put everything under his control. What are the things that are out of control right now, at least that seem to be out of our control? Lots of things, right? Shady governments and countries. Think about the world, that there are things that are going on so unjust and there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. No, I believe that God's called us to partner to work against injustice. So don't hear me saying, hey, we just need to buy our time. But what I'm saying is that there are things that are stronger than us that we can't just sit here right now and in our own power do anything about it. We can pray, we can lean on the Lord. But the reality is that that this life, so much of this life is marked by chaos. Natural disasters and the enemy, death itself. None of us can control that. How much money is spent every single year trying to prolong life, trying to make life better and The reality is death is coming for all of us. And Paul says, we eagerly await a savior who's gonna put everything under his control. And and so listen to what Paul writes in a different letter. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, he says this. He says, then the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do you realize that when Christ returns, everything will be put under him? (laughs) Nothing in this world will be in chaos and rebellion that Christ himself, Christ alone and his power will bring it all under control even death itself. That when Christ comes, there will be no more death. And I love this because this gets into the last part, man. We eagerly await our Savior who's gonna put everything under his control. And this is how Paul ends this little section in Philippians 3. And he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will become like his glorious body. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery that we will not all sleep. And what he's saying there is that, that not all of us are going to pass away before Christ comes, that, that there will be some that when Christ returns to this earth on the clouds, that some will still be alive. And he says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable. And we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. You know, the life that we live right now, our bodies are marked with weakness. And some of you are at the prime of life. You know, you're 24, you're running a marathon every weekend and you're just in great shape. But the reality is, man, that in aging, and sickness and pain and ailments, they plague our bodies. 
And I love what Paul does here because he goes, man, the, the end of this journey, the last mile marker that, that comes for every single follower of Jesus is that we are changed. No longer marked by weakness, but marked by strength. No longer marked by mortality, but by immortality. No longer marked by perishable, but by imperishable, which means that every ache and every ailment in this life reminds us to keep waiting, to keep longing. The new is coming. Paul and his brilliance says, man, this is the life that you want to mature into Christ. These are some mile markers that, that you pass that, that help show you the progress that you're making. And, and these are mile markers that you can use to gauge, man, am I growing? Am I maturing? So here's how I want to end today. We take communion every Sunday. It's a, a time for us to take the bread and the cup to remember Jesus. And one of the things that I want to invite us to do as we take communion this morning is with the people that are sitting around you, to circle up your chairs. And I want to just encourage you to, to share, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, where have you seen progress? What are some of those mile markers that you have crossed? And then, you know, I, I encourage you at the same time to go, hey, where do you need God's help to keep growing? And so during communion, if, if, if you come here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you have questions or you want to talk, there'll be some, some of us over at the Respond Band and we'd love to talk and pray with you. But I want to invite us to stand right now. I'm going to pray for us. And then when I get done praying, I'm going to release us to go to one of the communion tables around the room. You can come back to your seat, take communion. So let's pray. So Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this group. Lord, I pray that if there was anything that I said that was out of line with your character, your heart, that you will forgive me. And Lord, if there are things that were from you, that they would bear fruit, both in the present and in the future. God, that you would use communion this morning to call us deeper into you, that you would encourage us and bless us and strengthen us and empower us to go from this place to live for your glory, that all the world would know you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, I invite you to go take communion. Love you all, so thankful for you.